0: I'm Dan and I'm Alex and welcome back to the on-air podcast. It has been a monumental week in aviation and we're only a few days into it. <laughs> yeah, t- <there> has been <laughs> literally. <laughs> so much that has happened, not just in the beginning of this week, Dan, but since we recorded a week ago.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because in the beginning, when we started the podcast, it was like, wow, it's only Thursday. We have so many days left to record until the next time. And now it's like, wait, it's already time for another episode. There's just so much all the time. And I feel like time speeds up with every week. So it's like, oh, yeah. it feels like we recorded yesterday and now now we're back. It does. It does. Well, we're back and we're back in good timing because
0: there is a lot going on. So we're going to get straight to it. Of course, the biggest story so far in the aviation world that has rocked the sector, CNN describing it as an aviation earthquake, it is that after 27 years leading the airline, his excellency Akbar al-Bakr He, of course, is the group chief executive of Qatar Airways. will be stepping down effective November 5th. So soon. And Alex, I think you were the one who broke this news, right? I did break this story. And this was something that led all of the headlines from Bloomberg and Reuters to Financial Times, New York Times and so on. And and that's purely because al-Bakr is a monumental industry figure. He is one that will go down in history as having driven the direction of the aviation sector, particularly for long-haul global airlines. It has been a crazy 24 to 48 hours (laughs) since I pressed publish on that I mean, for you, Uh, of course, (laughs) yeah. It's it's just, it's been unbelievable because, you know, this was, this is something that I think there are so many constants in life, and Akbar al-Bakr has been in the <laughs> position for, for 27 years. I think people just thought, well, he's he's there forever. It's As not, the sun know,
1: rises not... in the morning, al-Bakr heads to his office in Toha.
0: Well, most of the time, for those that know his routine, most of the time he's in the office before sunrise, and that's pretty remarkable because the sun rises very early in this region. It's, yeah, uh, in it's Qatar, it's, all, basically, like, it's messed up. Daylight. <laughs> Yeah, it's so different to, for example, like when you, when you're when you're spending time elsewhere in the Gulf, you notice right, like in UAE for example, it rises at a more ordinary. It's hour. still
1: early, but it's not in Qatar. I'm like, I wake up at four a.m. and I'm like, what's going on? Why is the sun up? And then it's down so yeah, early. Yeah. It I like I don't know why they chose that time zone or what the logic they is, say-
0: but. They say that I read that it's on the wrong time zone and it's a bit similar to Spain, which is also supposedly on the wrong time zone. Because, for example, as you just said, it gets early. It gets uh, bright so early here. It gets dark uh, also early. Spain apparently should be on the time zone with Portugal. Mm, So that would put it in line with the UK. Because in Spain, when you are in the south of Spain, particularly in the summer months, let's say May and June, especially June, It will not be you will not have a dark sky until around and a genuinely dark sky until around 11 p.m. I love it. Now, that's like Sweden. That's that's (laughs) that's amazing. But then in the morning, it's so tough to get up because it's dark.
1: But so if you could choose, I mean, I think we would all choose like brighter nights over the sun rising hours before you wake up because then it's like wasted daylight and especially in the gulf where people the locals are so nocturnal it's like no one not a single local is going to be awake at 5 a.m when it's bright out you know
0: well you say that i mean the working hours here on like the government sector 7 30 a.m until around two ish or so, so, so a lot of them have to get up. I mean, I always think it's a bit of a novelty where I think, right? I let's say, for example, I've got early radio. and My radio is going to be at six a.m. Daha time. I know I will wake up naturally, and I can wake up naturally by literally just leaving the curtains, the curtains open. At mm, home. That's and nice. And I think that sunlight will flood it in. I won't wake up to the harsh alarm. I realise we're now talking about alarms and waking up when we should be talking about <laughs> what is happening. This is what we do, we go on <laughs> tangents. We do, we do. So let me bring us back to Monday evening, uh, so to Monday afternoon, where staff were informed by al Bakr that he said, quote, it has been an incredible privilege to lead such an exceptional global team and the honour of a lifetime of to serve my country along with uh, several other other uh, other statements that he had he had written to to staff when announcing his resignation his decision to step down and this was followed by some uh, brief information about the exceptional financial performance for the half year results of 2023 we know we've spoken extensively down about how airlines are making money because demand is incredibly high and so uh, it's uh it's uh you know airlines are able to profit from that and this yep. was something that was mentioned but i mean this is a big deal a lot of people cannot imagine Qatar Airways the world without... <laughs> right.
1: yeah yeah so this is this is really interesting because you have more of a an inside perspective I have perspective as someone who really enjoys flying Qatar airways, but also I, I mean my DMS were flooded when this was announced and it's interesting because there's very mixed reactions, but it's either, it's either of the extremes people go, no, Oh my God, what's going to happen now? And then the other extreme is like, yes, finally, because he, Whatever you think of him, he is one of, if not the most uh, looked to and somewhat controversial figure in the industry because yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't you know, mince his words. He says what he thinks. He does not, which, he does not hold back. <laughs> which is definitely, you know, I appreciate a, a CEO who doesn't have to always behave CEO-esque, who just says what he thinks because it's quite refreshing rather than the... Very generic, you know, CEO talk. Because who, that you're who used wants to. to
0: listen to who wants to listen to the political spiel of you know of CEOs who are not answering the question directly or who are not you know who are speaking completely generally and without specific. Al is famous for not holding back, you know, cutting <laughs> yeah. straight to it. Of course, not without controversy. And he knows this, and he would have this relationship with media where he would be able to, to start playing them. With, it was a with, bit of a wink-wink. Wink. Yeah. Exactly, in these press conferences where he knew what he was saying was cheeky. But if you looked at the substance of what he was saying, 99% of the time, the industry would, well... Well, he's right. He's just saying what everyone's thinking. oh well, that's absolutely true. You know, when, when Airbus, I can remember um, with the A380 deliveries at first, uh, Qatar Airways' A380s were briefly delayed. Something to do with the carpets and the lavatories. And the rhetoric in Europe was, oh, well, you know, they're a difficult customer and they're causing a headache for Airbus. But then the flip side to that coin was that, no, they are spending multiple, multiple millions per aircraft. Their standards are exceptionally high. They have a chief executive who is almost OCD-like with his attention to detail. There is nothing that this individual does not know that is happening across the company. And so if he inspects an aircraft or if his team inspect an aircraft and report back to him and say, the lavatories were not up to the standard that we expected and the way that the carpet has been installed and fitted and is sitting on the aircraft with, you know, maybe uh, uh, the edging and things like this is not what we would expect from the likes of Airbus. I, see that They would come back to Airbus and say, well, and, and they would speak publicly and say, they are not delivering up to our standards. You know, we're, we're paying for this and we expect more and Airbus promised a lot and so on. So. On one yeah, side, you've got the Europeans that's saying, oh, you know, yeah. they're a nightmare. On the other side, you're saying, well, hold on. Just because our standards are high doesn't make us a nightmare. Come to Qatar, come to the region, and you very quickly realize the standards are high almost everywhere. I mean, just, just take a ride on the metro here in Doha, and it's so state-of-the-art, it's unbelievable, but they expect nothing less. Once you understand that, then you understand where that comes from.
1: Yeah, it, it is a bit... I mean, I just have to make this comment because people expect it from me it's funny that the airline is so insistent on consistency and you know they need to get what they paid for but then they're famous they're one of the most famous airlines in the world the for swapping your equipment <laughs> and saying no 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 a 232 plane that was introduced 15 years ago is just the same as Q suite so you know there's no no, no conversation right. for you're the passengers.
0: You're absolutely right. The fleet, the, the fleet issue and the shortage of aircraft and the way in which the older aircraft have still been hanging around and operating, it continues to be continues to be an issue. Yeah, definitely. You know, and it's so funny. Are,
1: are aware. Yeah. I remember the, in 2016, March 2016, we were at ITV Berlin. I guess this was very recently after we had met. And we Mm -hmm. went to the Qatar Airways uh, press conference, I guess. This was before you, you know, worked with Al Jazeera, before any of us had really spent time in Qatar. And you specifically asked Al Bakr. I remember so clearly because this came years later. I was like, he was so right. You went, can you explain to me why you're flying Amazing, you know, your latest state of the art 787s or a 5900s in those days, but also your ancient A330s into London Heathrow, but saying it's the same product and it's equivalent. And I remember him responding, Qatar Airways, what's important is the soft product. You get the same soft product every time, that's what people book. And I was just like, this is a very interesting response, which definitely came back now. Years that's later, funny, when I don't yeah. remember that.
0: That's funny. I uh, mean, yeah, that's, it is I
1: mean, so they, funny. I guess since
0: twenty, whenever that was, twenty what's twenty sixteen? Yeah, yeah. So almost almost ten years ago. Okay, since ten then, years the 330s, ago, seven years oh, ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay, almost ten, right? We're, we're on the cusp of twenty twenty four, Dan. So it's, uh, almost <laughs> almost the, eight um, years. <laughs> yeah. The. The uh, the 330s have been through, I mean, what they've been through is crazy. They've, they've, <laughs> they've been parked on the side of the road and stored and they've been taken out of service. They've been renovated in terms of the cabin refit and so on yeah. and so on. It's, uh, it's a lot. But that's interesting. I, d- I don't actually remember that at all. It, I don't yeah. remember seeing you at ITB.
1: <laughs> What? We were walking around the whole day, like looking at the I didn't it was remember. that is it was the only time I was there. For those who don't know, it's like one of the biggest travel conferences. Many mm-hmm. airlines have booths. So it's an interesting place to network. Back when I was into the free ticket scene trying to promote different airlines. I was like, ooh, let's go to different booths. Yeah. So then, of course, there were a few press conferences that was back in the good old days.
0: So many stories, you know, there is a lot.
1: I just want to ask you, how did you feel when this was announced? Because, I mean, I have my reaction what was your reaction in terms of emotions logical thinking so mine was a little different
0: i would say because i was the one actually breaking this so that you go into like i was in work mode you know and i was thinking about what i knew the response was going to be the reaction i know what a monumental figure and a public figure akbar is i mean there would never be a time where anyone would expect it which you know is perhaps not very logical because anyone in a position for 27 years is going to come to a point whereby they will, you know, it's a natural life cycle. They're going to step down. They're not just going to continue and continue and continue. So it's funny that even after that length of time, people were still just shocked. But it's but how abrupt understand... it
1: was. That's the, what well, shocked to, people. To
0: understand to understand how abrupt it was is to understand how political appointments are announced in Qatar. This is perfectly normal and what i would add for context is it's actually it's actually quite miraculous that there is even a 10-day period because (laughs) typically how it would work in qatar is that those in the highest positions be at the top of the treasury so the qatar investment authority basically handling the state funds be at the the top of the state bank like um, qmb the top of any big institution or Edu, which is basically the the main mobile phone network provider here, like Vodafone and 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 uh, and T-Mobile, these positions typically are appointed by government. If the positions are from state-owned companies, and when government implement their decrees in order to make changes either to the board or to the leader, chairman, chief executive, and so on, it is done. Instantly, with immediate effect. Here, <laughs> literally, one day a, a one day an individual is working in the military, but he has been closely monitored and watched by the government. And the next morning, he is called, and they announce to the public: this individual is now the minister of insert ministry name. And and it happens. Not just overnight, it happens within hours, yeah, and it's just culturally how it is here. Now, I would compare that to the likes of how in the UK we're very used to the fact that. Tomorrow, Rishi Sunak, could, <laughs> the current prime minister, could resign, okay? And then immediately, the Conservative Party would try and find another... You know, we're used to... The, I think we've had five or six prime ministers in the You're process, used to so, it now, a, yeah. A few years. I mean, we're used to it now. But, you know, in this, in this region, these kind of appointments to those that lead state-owned entities, that's how it works. So it was funny for me seeing the rhetoric that followed after of confusion, of people wondering... Well for it to have only been 10 days that means something something bad has happened or oh it's quite unbelievable they would they would never have left it 10 days if there wasn't a problem actually 10 days is pretty generous <laughs> okay. because yeah it would typically
1: be instant but you tell us then because everyone's wondering was did he do something bad is there something wrong with his health everyone's speculating so people of course will wonder do you have any more information
0: well, I can, I can tell you, and I have spoken, of course, to, I, I speak to Akbar relatively often to find out what the latest goings-on are uh, across the airline, what they are, what they're planning, what the, you know, I ask him about the key issues, and, and I, I use this as part of briefs for uh, for my broadcasts uh, to find out, you know, that he has uh, com- he's completely in tune with what's going on with the supply chain, with Airbus, with Boeing, with deliveries, with jet engines and so on and so on. And and by the way, I speak to many airline CEOs throughout the week and most of it would be done what we call in media as on background. So basically, it's not necessarily things that I will be sharing word for word in public, but that briefing and and. I would be able to build a consensus by speaking to one CEO in this region, another CEO in this region, one in Southeast Asia, one in the US. And I was, I'll was give you an example. I recently built a broadcast that was about the fake parts scandal, which we spoke about in a previous episode of On Air just by speaking to a variety of different airline CEOs on background, asking them, are you affected? Do you think it's a big deal? You know, what do you know about it? And so on and so on. So I know that I, I can answer this um, and I know he won't mind me uh, confirming that he is fine. He's, he's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there's no question of, uh, of anything there in terms of physicality or health. He, he's doing fine. And he has decided to step down after 27 years and, uh, and and this by is choice. something that I think by choice, and, and this is something that can be expected of anyone. The part that hasn't been publicized too much, I think people see one headline and they cling onto to it, but they haven't scrolled down and seen seen the message um, or, or, or the tweet below, is that very shortly after the airline had confirmed themselves that Akbar al Bakr will be stepping down after 27 years, the government of the state of Qatar, made the following announcement that, quote, His Excellency Akbar al-Bakr has been appointed advisor to His Excellency the Prime Minister and Minister of Foreign Affairs of Qatar, Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdurrahman Al Thani. So the day that he leaves QR, he is immediately in his new position as advisor to the Prime Minister and Minister of Foreign Affairs.
1: Okay, so is this this is a choice he made to go into this role or you know, Ketra Airways is his child. It's his baby that he's shaped. So I imagine for him to leave, he must feel he's done. He's done everything he wants to or that there's someone who's more capable now than him.
0: It's it's a I would say it's just a, a, the natural next chapter for anyone that has been in a position for, for 27 years. And I I really think that those trying to read too much into it, and boy, have I seen theories online. Uh, Some people think it's linked with what's going on elsewhere in the Middle East right now. Some people think it's linked with the fact that there are pressures on aircraft deliveries. And you're overthinking it, basically, would be the message. Any individual who's been in a position for 27 years and has built the airline from having five aircraft in 1996 to the global force that it is now, is naturally at times going to wonder, OK, what's the next chapter? Perhaps the final chapter before retirement. And if you look back at some of his public speaking engagements over recent months, the hints have been there. He addressed the audience in Los Angeles at the Here we awards. go! Los Angeles makes a return. Los Angeles makes a return. Avocado toast <laughs> back in the building. He addressed the audience, the Angelino audience uh, in uh, in Long Beach. If you know where Long Beach is. Of course. Uh,
1: Are you uh, kidding? My aunt lived it's there. It's a beautiful,
0: beautiful, so beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. beautiful yeah. And uh, they they uh, in that speech, if you watch it back, you know there's a there's a few hints about about him quoting to say that he'll you know continue for as long as he thinks he can or i think he actually directly said on stage that he was ready he felt ready to move on but they wouldn't let him mm. he, he joked so it's uh and, and also he a couple of speeches before that i think you know there were a few hints and uh and so mm. so to go back to your in- initial question i was approaching it from this perspective and with this in mind and knowing that if the time was going to come where he would step down everything would happen instantly it would all be announced in the same few hours his decision to step down the successor and then if there was going to be any future appointment which of course it was confirmed immediately that he's going to the prime minister's
1: office yeah okay i guess part of this or the biggest part of this people think yes the ceo is going but as passengers who care about the onboard experience for the tens of thousands of staff at Qatar airways the real question is how much will things change now how will they change for staff how will they change for passengers there's so much uncertainty which i think makes everyone a bit nervous or excited so this new ceo do you have you met him what do you know about him what is, do you know what his plan or idea is going forward?
0: Yeah, so I know the new CEO as well as I know Akbar. That's because the new CEO is the existing and until now the existing chief operating officer of Hamad International Airport. And so he is a leading Aviation industry figure in Qatar and in the region, but lesser known to the outside world. He doesn't do too much media. He's not super um, public facing. And that's partly because of how everything is structured here. Hamad International Airport as a company, along with Matar, this is the kind of airport operator. They are subsidiaries of the Qatar Airways group. So Akbar al-Bakr was the group chief executive, not just of Qatar Airways, the mainline airline, but of all areas of the sector, Qatar executive, the private jet division, Qatar duty free, QDF, which which is vast, Hamad International Airport, the state of the art hub, the center of the world, Doha International Airport, which was reactivated, for why are you laughing?
1: Because what, like, what is this slogan marketing
0: thing? It, it is. The, it is the state of the art hub. I mean, it's, uh,
1: is it not? Qatar Airways, going places together. <laughs> It's it's it. The two
0: the two phrases go together. But uh, the Doha International Airport, the the old um, airport, backup the yeah, old airport, the, that was brought, the, the well, it was brought in yeah. as a second airport during the World Cup, and it was incredibly smooth, and it actually it was a pleasure to fly through, and so on and so on. So because Hamad Airport has been a subsidiary of the Qatar Airways Group, of which the CEO has been Akbar since the beginning of time, basically, there was no real awareness as to who was the top of Hamad airport globally in aviation circles. I think he, he is quite known and he sits on the boards of several different aviation committees, including ACI, the airport council and so on. So he, he, he is known somewhat across the, uh, across the sector. He is the new CEO of the Qatar Airways group effective November 5th. And he has been appointed to quote continue the journey of excellence at the Global Carrier.
1: Mm-hmm. And that means continue on the
0: exact same path? I think there is nobody that knows Akbar better than engineer Badr Almir, the incoming yeah. group chief executive. He knows how forensic al is <laughs> with just about everything. And he has been around long enough to see it to shadow, to work with him, to, to to know the high expectations, to know the standards, to know everything. I would say that he has a, a big job ahead, like anybody would entering this. Yeah. But I think that he knows the position well. So to answer your question in a nutshell, I think this is continuity.
1: Yeah. What you're saying makes it sound a little bit to me like, I mean, it is Alebaker's baby. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the background a little bit sharing his opinions on this and that, and making sure that it still sort of is the way he envisions his child, no? Maybe, maybe. And
0: look, I don't think that, you know, had we been talking on this podcast now and they had brought in a CEO from another comp- another big institution in Qatar, for example, the CEO of, of Oridu, the big mobile phone network provider, they're a huge company here or the CEO of the bank, one of the big banks and so on. You know, these, these CEOs that jump from one to the other. Yeah. Had that have been the case, I would have said to you, Be oh nervous. my word, <laughs> how is he going to know even 1% of what, you know? Because it, the truth is, as you know, the reason we're even speaking about this is because al-Bakr is in the know and makes the decisions. I mean, if you have ever been in the airport at 2, 3 a.m. in the lounge on a weekday, even it's the middle of the night, Sometimes you can see him, you can find him in the duty-free section of the lounges turning around the labels of <laughs> perfumes to ensure they are facing the passengers that are walking past. He is the type that will be um, on some kind of uh, escalator kind of uh, machine to, to raise him up so that he can check if there is dust, <laughs> dust coming from the AC unit where passengers will be eating below. He's the definition of a perfectionist. yeah. And to have somebody understand that, such as Engineer Badr Almir, now going into this role, I think is crucial, which is why I, I honestly do think this is, from a passenger experience perspective, this is continuity.
1: Okay, it's good to hear you're not nervous about that. Do you think there might be any improvements in terms of the conditions for the crew, specifically them doing minimum turnaround times at pretty much every destination that has daily flights. So if you guys don't know, Qatar Airways of course has among the best in-flight service in the world. It's incredibly consistent, but one thing you notice, I think the more you fly them or I've noticed it a lot in the past year, the crew are just exhausted because they're worked so incredibly hard. I get emails, several emails a week from Qatar Airways crew saying, How can you promote this airline so much when we're suffering? I know that all flight attendants definitely don't feel like this. Many I've spoken to love their jobs, are very thankful for the opportunity, but I think many are excited about the possibility that things might work a little more in their favor, although of course, Al Bakr is not the only one overseeing the crew and the training procedures and reporting systems and all things like that. Maybe, maybe. I mean,
0: this could be, there could be an element of change here with how they approach different policies because anyone that has been running an airline for 27 years is probably going to become a creature of habit. And uh, Al-Bakr, for sure, in in his in his way in which he leads the airline is widely regarded as a creature of habit. And so some of the policies, for example, as you said, like the um, curfew that cabin crew face uh, while they're in between flights and so on, uh, maybe they will be looked at under new leadership. Maybe not, maybe it's continuity across the board And as you say, it's not just the... I mean, there is a board of the airline. This is an airline with board members. There are several senior vice presidents. Underneath the senior vice presidents, there are vice presidents. Under the VPs, you have the the heads of departments and so on and so on. So, you know, this is not... It's easy to think that because visually from the outside, it looks like a one-man band, that now we have somebody new coming in and they're able to to make X, Y, Z changes. But I think at first across the board it's still likely to be continuity with maybe potential for change because there is new you know there is a new ceo and and typically a new administration is likely to bring change somewhere with something mm-hmm. and perhaps that could be something that that is in relation to the points that you mentioned that relate to the crew
1: yeah have you do you feel like you notice any differences flying Qatar pre-pandemic versus now? Or, or not really. I know you, now you're a bit jaded. You spend many flights sleeping or working. But do you feel like there's any differences?
0: Not in terms of the service. I think the service has has remained consistently high. I haven't noticed any any slip. I think that there was a little dip in that. Kind of year after the worst year of the pandemic, so kind of twenty twenty one, but I could completely understand that. I mean, we were caught up with different restrictions, mask policies. We were caught up with crew that had just been returned back after being let go because of the global aviation redundancies and so on and so on. If I had to put my finger on, it, I was like, okay. Maybe, maybe in twenty twenty one there was a small dip, but speaking on the whole, I think that the service has remained consistently incredibly high across the board for a passenger from a passenger experience
1: yeah yeah i think it's it's still incredibly high it's just interesting i i had two Qatar airways flights this week both flights the service was flawless amazing the pursers were some of the best i've met on Qatar. but i think if, if i compare i don't know what's changed i think maybe it's just the world in general people are maybe not as happy i i don't know what's going on but there's just like this feeling that people are really exhausted or tired and you look at them and it just looks like they're stressing. Well, I think pre-pandemic, it would often feel so relaxed and people are, you know, they're happy and proud of their jobs. And although the crew was working so hard and doing everything textbook perfect, you could tell that they they were just so drained. And so it felt like they were there was no like soul in what they were doing because they were just so exhausted. So
0: since the pandemic, you think?
1: Yeah. And I think that maybe it's, you know, many people have experienced worse mental health since the pandemic. Of course there's things that linger from then that you notice now there's many new hires or people have been, you know, pushed up in the company uh, after the pandemic that I think also might leave some people overwhelmed in their jobs rather than you know relax and handling it um i mean the the you know, aviation sector yeah. as the, the
0: sector as a whole you're right does have does have um has been on the receiving end and has faced immense staffing trouble across you know because of the way in which the pandemic disrupted everything that i think that now i mean i i put i relate this to for example now isn't it quite a common conversation where you have a you say oh have you stayed at this hotel oh yeah oh but we used to stay before the pandemic oh it's
1: not <laughs> yeah now. yeah it's not as yeah.
0: that, that's like a very common kind of traveler conversation yeah you, pe- people are having so so maybe you're right maybe maybe just across
1: across aviation, all the travel yeah hos-
0: hospitality you know travel we're just seeing that there is still a lingering impact on something that was extremely disruptive to everyone's lives and not just disruptive in an inconvenient way but in 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 some really tragic ways too yeah
1: yeah i i always encourage people to do this and i think now even more than ever if you have a great crew like i had on these flights i've had many great crews recently i always take their names on a piece of paper and then submit positive feedback to the airline about them, especially at the airlines that are top performing when it comes to service. They will get this feedback and it makes a difference. So just showing your gratitude in some way more than just saying thank you, I think goes so far. And when you see that they're, you know, struggling mentally or that they just seem exhausted, I think that can be a really helpful little boost to see, okay, at least someone was really grateful for the hard work i put in because being a flight attendant i think is not a very rewarding job it's not often you get people who are just like thank you so much for how hard you worked to make me comfortable in a premium cabin um so they deserve recognition so so important
0: and you know in other areas of society perhaps you know, for example, look at the U.S. The expectation to tip. Yeah. You know, when when you have good service and things like this. Okay, that's not happening on an aircraft. But boy, does it go a long way when you take the time to. They're wearing their name badges for a reason. Yeah. Okay. And 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 so you know, when you experience good service, as Dan said, let it be known there is one encounter I had where I thought, oh my goodness, this is so worth it, and I was so glad that I took the five minutes in the car to do it because I had had a great flight. I had a great crew. They were super attentive, professional, and so on and so on. This was on a British Airways flight. And the I, B, BA have a dedicated uh, website page where you can feedback on your flight. I put in the details. And I put the comments about the crew. I put them by name. And I said it was they were just completely professional, suit the perfect balance of professionalism and warmth. And, and, and I... Specifically commented on something that had happened with an elderly lady and so on and the way in which they managed it was just fantastic and I let them know and then a whole year later the purser that I had written about so the head cabin crew that I had written about I was on her flight no way she didn't I don't think she was there at the at the front door uh, at door one when I was boarding but halfway through the flight I was actually asleep or kind of falling asleep she gently tapped me and she said to me, you're Mr. Macheras, aren't you? I said, yep. She said, "She said I don't know if you remember. And I looked at her and I said, I do remember. I do. She said, "I and the first thing she said is, I want to thank you because I got the either promotion or something. Some kind of yeah. something had happened in terms of a promotion. She said, and honestly, she said it was because of messages like yours where you had taken the time to let the airline know about us going above and beyond and I had benefited from it and I want to say thank you. And I said, you know, of course that's fine. I, I totally meant it when I when I had when I had taken the time two minutes come on, it's just two minutes yeah. to do it. And I had really done nothing. I had just passed it on and, 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 and done it. And when she left, I thought, oh, my God, it's
1: so worth it. Yeah, Please do it. it is. I, I, It's only happened to me once, too, where I didn't even meet them again, but I got a message from someone also like a year later saying, Dan, your message to the airline was a significant contribution to me getting promoted, which I was just like, it just makes you so happy knowing that they did something great for you. And now you just took two minutes to say thank you. It's, It's amazing. On that note, should we... Do we have anything more to discuss here? We could discuss this all day, but there's much more to talk about. Yeah. So
0: basically, we 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 know what's happening. We know the who the next uh, group chief executive is going to be, and one of the longer form, longest form interviews he has done, Engineer Badr almir, the incoming group chief executive. Uh, was actually with me in 2018 or 2019. Um, I'll put a link to it again on Twitter. And you get to kind of see his personality. At the time, he was outlining the plans for the expansion at the airport. But we spoke about everything. We spoke about politics in the region. We spoke about competitor airlines. We spoke about the aviation landscape and so on. He's very, very in tune with what's happening. And I was surprised how there were so many people over the last 24 to 48 hours writing on Twitter about how, or elsewhere on social, that they didn't know who he was, or there were articles, who is, you know. But actually, he's been at the top of Hamad Airport for a while, he does speak publicly, he attends conferences, he sits on the boards, as I said. So, But if you want to get to know him, that, that interview I think he did with me was quite good. He was very relaxed and he spoke for a while about many different issues. Okay,
1: I will check it out as well.
0: Sure, so with that, let's move on. I want to bring your attention, Dan, to what is happening in Paris. Can you take us through that, please?
1: The bedbugs? You <laughs> love bed that. Bugs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I told you, right, that my, my brother's girlfriend is like, hell no, I'm not flying through France with all those yeah. bedbugs. bugs. no. Air France, of course, the national carrier of France, has historically operated flights from both Paris-Charles-de-Gaulle, which is very far from the airport. It's about an hour far from the airport. What am I talking about? Far from the city. It's about an hour from the city on the train. Not exactly a very glamorous ride. Also, horrible place to transit but they have also operated from Paris' secondary airport, one that's preferred by many Parisians, Orly Airport, which is much more centrally located. At that airport, it has been mostly domestic and vacation flights. Of course, France still has many overseas territories, so they've had long-haul flights to places 10 hours away that are still France from Orly. Now, France has introduced a few measures that are firstly hurting their operations at Orly, namely banning domestic flights that are not for domestic. What am I I'm tired, obviously, not for transit purposes. So if it's just a point-to-point domestic flight under a certain distance, they're banned. So that's one factor. Then what are the other factors? Alex, how about you tell us? Basically, what is happening is that Air France is cutting all their flights to Orly handing them over to another Air France KLM airline Transavia a low-cost airline so they're splitting um the operations there more clearly between low-cost and full service in Paris that's because so and the reason it's significant is because
0: so Air France operate as Dan said at both Paris Charles de Gaulle and Paris Orly and by 2026 there will be a full Air France Exit, Maybe a, an Air Frexit <laughs> from Frexit. Paris Orly. So no more operations for the mainline airline of Air France at Orly, only going to Charles de Gaulle. And And the interesting part in this is the justification as to why they are taking this decision is that they say they are responding to, quote, a sharp drop in domestic flights. And of course, as you just highlighted, there is a bit of a movement now against whether or not these domestic flights across France are necessary. The the government actively clamping down on restricting them. That's underway. But also, they say that they're responding to the fact that there are rail travel alternatives, which for the first time is the first time I can recall an airline kind of admitting, a lot of people prefer to take the train, so <laughs> but
1: uh, yeah, also would, for uh, environmental reasons. I guess it's more relevant. I appreciate, 100%. I appreciate that airlines in Europe, especially, are making partnerships with the rail companies so they can actually offer tickets Agreed. to these domestic places on the same itinerary. But it doesn't have to be a flight. I think that's it's really great, definitely. Because if you have,
0: uh, if you have nations that are well-equipped in terms of rail infrastructure, high-speed rail specifically, and it's just as convenient, if not more convenient, to take the train domestically rather than to to start boarding another flight, then embrace that. Use that. Empower your passengers to be able to lower their carbon footprint and also have an easier journey by jumping onto a high-speed train rather than ignore the very existence
1: of developed high-speed infrastructure. Exactly. And let's be honest, a train, almost any train, is so much more comfortable than some intra-European A320 with, you know, the paper-thin seats that barely recline. It's, yeah. I would much rather go on a train any day if the train is competitively priced, quite yeah. fast and convenient. See,
0: the problem is that European train travel, like uh, uh, European train travel, as a whole, is quite expensive. Nothing compared with UK train travel, which is just off the scale, Yeah. despite being the worst performing rail in terms of performance <laughs> in all of Europe because of the disruption that UK passengers have to face. it UK yeah, rail crazy. has become completely unreliable. That is not just my opinion. It's categorically unreliable now, uh, despite the infrastructure being there, for quite a while now it needs updating anyway the yeah use it would be the thing when you just mentioned there about how you said in your american accent well rail <laughs> is so much more comfortable than taking
1: uh, not amtrak uh, the, definitely what did, you but... say,
0: what did you say you said the ironing board seats or something the paper, paper thin, thin seats. seats yeah paper thin seats the only thing i could think of is how i remember one time being in the netherlands and the option was fly or rail and of course i was like well I'm gonna fly I mean of course I'm gonna fly Yeah back This was a few Quite a few years ago Right Maybe maybe almost 10 As I said earlier (laughs) uh, (laughs) Almost uh, 10 Means 5 to 10 years 7 Yeah (laughs) anyway um, And I remember I checked the aircraft And I saw it was a Fokker 70 (laughs) To which I concluded the rail sounds great so, uh, because I didn't love the idea of that little that thing. That little fucker flying you around. That little fucker <laughs> taking me, no, no, no. I need actual jet engines on a wing, <laughs> okay?
1: No, we no, like I... the CRJ. I like the CRJ. No, the one on the CRJ is like... Am I even on a plane? Stunning. It's like a I hairdryer know. going off in the house next door. You can barely hear anything.
0: I think I'm still traumatized from, and don't get me wrong, you know that when I was based in Southern Europe for quite a while as well, um, I lived in transit Madrid Airport and to get to Madrid Airport to transit to get out of Spain. I was constantly on these CRJs 1000 even you must have been 1000s. Yeah, and I would book as far to the front as possible if not the very front seat and well, sometimes it would not be the very front seat because I Iberia Air Nostrum charge a business-class domestic flight for 30 minutes the same price as it would cost me to go to Singapore. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yep, so wouldn't be actively wasting my miles or money on that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the um, the uh, yeah the CRJ, wow, it would be amazingly light and, you know, like you're gliding, but then yeah. I would hate it. I would hate it if the sky wasn't smooth mm. in terms of air, like turbulence and things I would be, yeah oh, it's I like i want to be in an airbus it's like
1: when you hold a pencil at the back and the front yeah. just moves like crazy because yeah, yeah it's it's the same effect it's it's really how did we get into this oh yeah we're we're talking about flying in europe i have we're talking yeah. about little fuckers <laughs> oh yeah back, and, and by the way
0: we didn't even explain a fokker is an aircraft type yeah yeah we're not, not just talking it. yeah. Yeah. no it's F-O-K-K-E-R. not a nickname K-E-R. there we go there we go we're going to be marked explicit by
1: Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> What's the movie, Meet the Falkers? Meet the Falkers. I, I, it's a, I always yeah. used to be so confused, like, is this about the plane? What? Before I'd seen the movie, I because to me, a Falker oh, was the plane. I was like, what do you mean, Meet the Falkers? What, what is a Falker besides a plane? Meet the Fokker fleet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, oh my God. Why? Why didn't an airline like KLM make a documentary called that? That would have been such a good capitalization on the movie Meet the Fokker. I love yeah.
0: it. I, I don't know if by then maybe Fokker was already taken over because Fokker was taken over by GKN Aerospace. So this was like a which sounds a, like a Kardashian
1: German. makeup brand, like you new know, GKN Cosmetics.
0: You know, that it's funny. There is a moment. So I have a twin sister. She used to watch the Kardashians growing up. <laughs> uh, and I can remember one episode that she was watching where one of the sisters had an idea to launch Kardashian aviation. No. <laughs> yes. And it always can stuck with me that She knew. She knew even that she didn't say like Kardashian air or Kardashian. She was like, we should launch Kardashian aviation. I remember thinking. Oh, They know about <laughs> this. They know about my world.
1: <laughs> I mean, not gonna lie. I think that would be one of the better airlines in the U.S. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a bit too superficial. So. Yeah, yeah. It would be a bit Virgin Atlantic two thousand esque, I guess. Okay, let's go way back to Air France. What's tell us more? Well, the the interesting part is that while, of course,
0: I think on one side it makes sense. To streamline and centralize airfront operations. streamline,
1: Stream,
0: <laughs> streamlined. streamline. Sorry, streamline operations at Charles de Gaulle. Many passengers were a bit peed off with this. Of course, they were, they were saying like, firstly, we like Orly. It's small. It's easy. It's not the horror story that Charles de Gaulle can be. Um, the other side to that is that I follow a lot of French media, and it was literally dominating the conversation of the day. Uh, across france they were having full on talk shows panel discussions i'm have just, just got it up in front of me saying they were saying well what happens to the flights from marseille from toulouse from nice you know this is these are uh, uh, heavily heavily relied upon by uh, uh, by by the french understandably so what happens and the answer to that of course was that well well these slots are not now up for grabs to other airlines. They are going to Transavia, the low-cost arm of Air France KLM, as you had previously highlighted, and the r- mix that with the rail alternative, the fact that they will increase or play around with the schedule at Charles de Gaulle, it does mean that basically you will still be served by the group in one way or another.
1: Yeah. Maybe not on mainline Air France. One if way. If not, then or then you'll have another. to take the train. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I mean I have flown Translavia once, never again. Sorry? I have <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what you're gonna say now. And I say what? And then you say i'm sorry let me have it <laughs> don't repeat the joke <laughs> why did i do it on here yeah you already did it like no a i want to do ago. it again say it <laughs> i've flown transavia once sorry uh, what <laughs> oh
0: no no i heard what you said <laughs>
1: i'm just sorry <laughs> so, Their so their cabins on the everyone google transavia's cabins Whoever made the decision to have like light green chairs with big circles that look like the seats have just been to cupping on a (laughs) plane—it is hideous. It's beyond. It is just the Kardashians need to come in here and put their beige spell over Transavia, please. All right, let's get to the Q and A.
0: Okay, so the first question up is from James. He says, hi, Alex, I'm sure your DMs have been flooded with wanting to hear your thoughts about this topic. And it is true, James. I have not flooded, but there are a few questions on this. He says uh, on this topic, but in case or to add to listeners demand, here it is. He says, what are your insights on the new boarding process for United Flights? supposedly taking effect soon. Thank you. Enjoying your podcast with Dan. James
1: messaged messaged me this too. I I was going to ask you about this. So that's perfect. What do do you think about this?
0: So this is that United are going to be starting a trial whereby they will be boarding passengers. Is it a trial or is it? I'm not
1: sure if it's a trial or not.
0: Okay. So basically either it's policy or it's a trial, but they're going to be boarding passengers, window seat only, and then middle seat, And then RC on that short aircraft.
1: And this is something that the science supports, but most airlines do not do. (laughs) I mean, my question is just what happens? Maybe I should have read very specifically, which I didn't. I just sort of skimmed it. But what happens with groups, families? You know, if you're traveling in a couple, does someone suddenly end up in a boarding group that's way after you? That seems like a big question mark that, you know, we might see a lot of exceptions. To the boarding order that might only apply to solo travelers, or maybe I'm just I, I'm not uh, so up to date on it. The
0: policy for this actually begins this Thursday, so the day after this recording is published, and they say that it's a move to reduce the times on the, that the aircraft is sat on the ground, and so on and so on. They're calling the plan Wilma, <laughs> which is window middle and aisle and they say that they have already tested it at several locations and that it's been deemed to shave up to 2 minutes off of boarding time 2 minutes is probably a lot in terms of on time performance yeah and all this kind of stuff and and what it does is it spreads people out along the aisle of the aircraft so that more passengers can put their luggage away at the same time that's that's the end goal but they're saying that and I'm reading here now I'm just going to bring it up because I think I have the answer to your question. It's a, okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Quote, the change will begin with passengers in the fourth boarding group, customers in first class, business class, and the group after that, which is not specified. Oh, those <laughs> with priority boardings, privileges, <laughs> travelers with children, unaccompanied minors, military, Family with kids under two. People who work at Olive uh, Garden. <laughs> they are all exempt. So basically, everyone. 50% of the aircraft will board. And then after they have this revolutionary way to board an aircraft that the science supports, despite the fact that that aisle that they just spoke about will be jam-packed full of everyone and that kitchen sink that was just invited to board in the first three (laughs) hundred and fifty five groups yeah i mean the first four groups okay
1: interesting completely unrelated quick story i i just thought of this when i'm thinking about like how is this going to work in the u.s because people do what they want it's a bit of a free-for-all which you know love it or hate it that's the u.s i remember this spring when i flew the inaugural flight from gothenburg to newark i was with oscar and we we surprised oscar's mom on the flight taking her with us to new york We get there, we land about 9 p.m. at Newark. Uh, Actually, the flight was a bit delayed. We go to passport control, and in front of us, there is a couple. And I was amazed of all countries in the U.S. that they didn't get arrested because they were fighting. And when I say fighting, they were yelling the most obscene, the F word, the C word every bad word at each other they were basically hitting each other the woman punched the man in the face and then he's like you c-word you just punched me in the effing face in the and then he said the tsa and i was like "Mm, should i tell him it's the cbp (laughs) (laughs) he's like you did this in this in the tsa and they were fighting until the second they walked up to the passport desk. And then they were just like, it's over, it's over. And it's it's so weird when you see people who, I, I mean, they look normal, right? They There was nothing like weird about their appearance. I wouldn't have assumed this. And they are acting <laughs> insane. Oh, people are insane everywhere, yeah. everywhere. But just seeing that and in literally in passport control, I'm like, wow, these people are U.S. citizens. Because otherwise they'd be on the next flight out of here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's true It's true it, There is that thing about If you are from the place That you're entering Somehow you
1: have more confidence Yeah, of than... course I mean, you're not Not going to be let in You might be no. questioned, Question But they can't deny you Entry to your home country I don't think
0: I know we spoke about this last week about traveling alone when we were young. Oh, my word. I used to get harassed by the by the border agents the coming back to the UK. In the UK, yeah. Uh, and where are you going to now? I'm like, uh, who, <laughs> who's picking you up? I'm like, mm, I'm getting a car. I'm getting the train. <laughs> uh, where do you live? I'm like, oh, excuse me. What? Yeah, you're like, what I'm not supposed a... <laughs> to tell strangers where I live. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm, sure, I'm sure I used that stranger, one. Stranger that. danger. I definitely did. I think they said to me, why can't you, t- Why? Was, tell me where, you know, wh- where are you going to know? Where do you live? I'm not supposed to tell you that. <laughs> why not? Because you're a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will yeah. go to the second question. This one says, this one is from Spandon. I hope I pronounced his name correctly. He says, hi, Alex, loving the on-air podcast with you and Dan. I wanted to ask questions pertaining to my region, India, specifically Air India and Indigo's massive order book for new aircraft. How do you think these two airlines will do in the next decade? And also, your thoughts on Air India Express and Air India's massive overhaul process? Goodness, oh there's a lot there. Let's, we we will we 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 are um we expanded. need to... <laughs> We are going yeah. to be looking at a segment at what is happening with. Indian air travel with Air India specifically as they gear up for global long haul with this huge order book. But let's go to your first question specifically,
1: which is specifically the about... The next 10 years the, or what? Yeah, yeah,
0: the order book and how we think these airlines are going to do in, in the next Yeah, year.
1: I think we, we need to give this very brief because we could do a whole episode just about this. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating that they've ordered so many planes when it's not like Indian airlines are massively profitable. It's actually still... bit of a difficult market there's a lot of competition from foreign airlines middle eastern airlines european airlines still have preference among wealthier indians so it will be really interesting to see first of all how air india's reinvention impacts the indian public's perception of them and whether they can win people back and of course indigo is very popular for low cost travel to and from india but you know india's a growing market the question is to what extent can other airports where Indians want to travel accommodate this growth as well? I assume most of it is domestic for uh, for Indigo, but it, it's fascinating. It is, and and India
0: is one of the fastest growing aviation sectors on earth. There is so much happening, and the the way in which that they are going to expand. I mean, look, Riyadh and Saudi Arabia has a lot of headlines in the, in the way that they are very very quickly growing, but it is matched and and beyond by the likes of the growth that we are going to see across India over the coming years. And just look at the order books, as, as, as he said, and in the commitments, in the firm orders that they are placing on these aircraft. I think that for Air India, it's going to be really interesting how they look at the Gulf carriers, they look at those that would typically stop in the Middle East and try to lure them away from the idea of stopping and say, let us invite you to long haul or ultra long haul nonstop operations to the, to the capital city and to the secondary cities that are immensely populated and booming with business and, and uh, visiting friends and relative market and so on and cut out the stop, fly direct, mm-hmm. fly nonstop. Uh, non-stop, Dan. Yeah, And uh, they the, <laughs> the, be on board. You know, it's it's interesting how we're going to see Air India position themselves for that. For Indigo, I I really admire Indigo's growth, Indigo's vast domestic operations, and the continued trajectory that Indio uh, that Indigo is on as it continues to become one of the dominant carriers of a very fast growing aviation market. I feel sorry for the airline in the way that it has had to suffer with these uh, faulty Pratt & Whitney uh, geared turbofan Neo engines. If you just do a quick Google search, you can see until today there are dozens of Indigo jets that are parked and have been stored on the ground and have had endless engine replacements that just don't work. And Dan, when we were on that flight... Dan, you remember when we met and we were on the Lufthansa yeah. 320 Neo delivery? There was a lady who was sat on the aisle next to me. She was from Pratt & Whitney and she was in charge of their comms at the time. And I spoke with her on that flight. I had her on the record, interviewed her and she was saying to me, you know, we're fully aware of the issues with the Girito <laughs> movement. But she was like, it's exciting times for us because in a few weeks, it's all going to be ironed out. And that was her, that was her quote. Well... <laughs> Almost ten years later. <laughs> okay, <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> almost ten
1: years. Can you believe later, the pandemic started issues. almost ten years ago? Shush, shush.
0: She, <laughs> she, she, she was, you know, she was hopeful, but it hasn't been the case. And the likes of Indigo are owed. Millions in compensation because of the way in which they've been screwed over with this. So we'll do a deeper dive
1: into India very soon. That is for sure. Yeah, I I know we have so many more questions, but there's something else I forgot to tell you, which is very very relevant. So earlier this week when I flew Qatar Airways, is it okay if we skip some questions? I need your approval so we don't make the listeners mad.
0: Let's let's (laughs) do. We have to allocate longer for questions. I know. I know. We will. I feel like last week we did such an extensive segment on unaccompanied minors. We didn't get to any other (laughs) questions.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's horrible. Um, So earlier this week, right. Or I guess about a week ago, I was flying with April Lynn, uh, I surprised her, so April-Lynn... Do you know what I thought you yeah. said?
0: I thought you said with Air Berlin. Air Berlin. oh,
1: throwback. Yeah. <laughs> that was about yeah. 10 years ago. <laughs> so, uh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, one of mine and Oscar's best friends, April-Lynn, from Singapore, we surprised her with her first ever business class flight, which was supposed to be Q-Suite from... Uh, well, it was actually Q-Suite, thankfully, from Singapore to Doha. And then we had a connection. The only problem was our flight from singapore was delayed by three hours so i woke up i discovered this we had a two-hour connection so the connection was supposed to be on an a320 great guess which plane we were rebooked on on. you know if it's an a320 it's likely to be we were rebooked on a 737 737 max Max. and i was really curious to try this but i couldn't stop thinking of you i was like if this was alex what would be happening because you and the 737 max are a bit like i don't know what to compare it to but you just avoid it for for some reason
0: well well there is a reason there are are reasons (laughs) (laughs) yeah don't get me wrong i i have faith in global aviation regulators with the exception of the 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 damning reports we saw from the oversight of the FAA, the U.S. aviation regulator, which has been proven to have just catastrophically failed yeah. in its role as a regulator over recent years in many scenarios. And that is something nothing short of a travesty in aviation in terms of what that then led to with the Ethiopian Airlines crash, the 737 MAX and Indonesia, the uh, the Lion Air one that that had that happened first. My thing with the Max is that I'll fly it if I have to fly it, but if I have a choice, I personally—and this is with no doubt—in I I have faith in Boeing's in Boeing's quote software upgrades because that's what they said yeah. they were, and I have faith in any regulators, especially those that are extremely tight, like the Singaporean regulator, like the Chinese yeah. regulator that now has certified the 77 Max. So I don't I I don't doubt any of them. It's just, I think I covered the Max so extensively; it was such a long, troubled saga of this of this aircraft that had ruined lives that shouldn't have been right? built. That, that 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 questions over whether or not it should have even been built. Should you re-engine a sixty year old airframe and so on and so on? That now, fast forward to now, it's an aircraft that is certified to fly. The regulators say it's safe. The airlines say it's safe. That those that are extremely tight with with safety, say it's safe so I know that it's safe yeah but my thing is that if I have a choice just out of a weird thing that I have I think I'd rather
1: go with <laughs> but so so if in I this situation choice. if you had been involuntarily rebooked due to a delay mm. and you can't mm. get rebooked for free obviously because they've reaccommodated us, uh, I don't think they would have been like yeah sure you don't you can cancel your ticket what would you do in that situation? Would you just suck it up and fly it? Or would you, let's say it was another airline where you, you know, you don't have any, anyone you can call and be like, help. Um, I think that I would just fly. it. Yeah. yeah. I would. Because yeah. I, I've flown it about a dozen times since it was reintroduced. And I have to say, I, I also trust the regulators, but there's just something that makes me uncomfortable. And about, it, it was only about an hour's flight. So about, 15 minutes in we're leveling off at whatever our cruising altitude was but it was a very like sudden leveling where we went from clearly climbing to the nose going down and my heart just sank i was like Uh... yeah even though i know it's i know what phase of the flight we're in i was just like wait why why is the nose so suddenly readjusting you know
0: now, had you been on on an A three twenty one, I wouldn't even have exactly thought about it. Exactly the same, yeah. It would have done exactly the same, the same. You know, you would have felt the same sensation. You wouldn't have thought about yeah, it. Yeah, but since no. it was the and I
1: was like, damn it, why did we have to get rebooked on this? Uh, I, yeah, a, a tiny part of me was like, mm, okay, what's going on? But um, obviously everything was fine. I'm here today.
0: No, and it's going to be fine. And, and they have done the, you know the 737 max some people argue is perhaps now maybe the safest aircraft in the skies because of the level of scrutiny that followed those two accidents because of the way the faa was investigated and because of the way that the aircraft was quite literally taken apart and placed under the microscope yeah because of the you know the the way in which it had it had caused these accidents was just unacceptable yeah, for shameful, modern day
1: technology shameful. yeah it's shameful I mean, I ha- I have to say that if if I had to choose between putting the safety aside, I love the Boeing Sky interior. I think it's beautiful. The yeah. 737 has massive windows. When you've just been on an A320 and you get on a 737, you're like, whoa. Although the windows are low, there are so many things about the 737. Very low, I, aren't yeah, they? especially yeah. me who's so tall. I'm like bending my neck to see out. But I think the cabin is is beautiful. It's it's. They've done a great job with that. Now, what is the cabin? Is, what is the cabin? Huh? This guy interior. Okay. Oh, you mean no, on Qatar no. Airways specifically? No, no,
0: no, 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 no. I mean, uh, how would you describe the cabin?
1: Oh, well, it's it's airy, like Airbus mm. airspace. <laughs>
0: no, I thought you were gonna say it's <laughs> so
1: beautiful. Oh, beautiful. oh, I'm sorry. No, beautiful but Trump, like Melania. Trump hates the 737.
0: Miles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> exactly. He does. You're yeah, right. probably more than me. You're
1: right. Uh, yeah. Well, there are a
0: load more questions that we will come to in the next uh, couple of episodes. We just wanted to make sure that we gave enough time to the big headline news in this episode. As always, you are able to send in your questions or send in your points of discussion that you would like us to get to by either DMing myself or Dan on Instagram. will do. It's totally fine with us.
1: Yep, we really look forward to seeing you next week with some more Q&A, of course, and interesting discussions. We will see you then on air. See you later. Bye-bye.